How much damage can you do just by the words you speak? The Bible has strong warnings about the power of the tongue. So get ready to explore this important teaching from a Christian and a Jewish perspective. Christianity emphasizes faith and Judaism emphasizes ethics and good deeds. Which is correct? Both emphases are important, as the book of James points out in the New Testament. Faith without accompanying works is dead. Welcome to the program. I'm Christine Darg, and in this episode, we're looking at the concept of what the rabbis call the evil tongue in Hebrew, Lashon Hara. They even have a title for a person who's a habitual gossiper, a master of the evil tongue. Oh dear, what a terrible thought to be called a master of the evil tongue. Let's examine the evil tongue and its consequences. Too often we hear about young people who commit suicide because of bullying or because of some demeaning item posted on the internet. Well, internet technology is still relatively new, but verbal abuse is as old as civilization. In order to accomplish exploits for God, we must become masters of kind tongues. In the famous Proverbs 31 chapter concerning the virtuous woman, one of her characteristics is the law of kindness is in her tongue. Also, a very important verse from Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 declares that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That means we can do wonders with our words or we can be assassins with our tongues. Recently, when we were attending a conference in Slovenia, I found a reproduction of an antique painting in a craft shop, a painting of a gossip whose tongue was being sharpened like a knife by two devils, a very graphic picture. A rabbi told a story about a servant sent to the market to buy the best kind of meat and also the worst kind of meat. In each case, the servant returned with tongue. The rabbi praised the servant for selecting tongue in both cases, saying that indeed there's nothing better and nothing worse than tongue. And he quoted Proverbs 18:21: death and life are in the power of the tongue. Speech differentiates us from all other creatures, and the ability to express ourselves has enabled our human species to develop entire civilizations. After all, social relationships, great accomplishments, science, the arts, going to the moon, would all have been impossible without speech. But at the same time, hatred, murder, terrorism, and wars also break out because of the tongue. Once our words are out, they're difficult to retract. Too often we speak without weighing the consequences, which can be devastating. It's been said the tongue is the most exercised muscle in the body. Within the Jewish tradition, the prohibition of gossip is based upon a Bible verse in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 16. Do not go about as a tale bearer among your people. 
But in Hebrew, the verse literally means, don't act as a merchant among your kinsmen. You see, just as a traveling salesman spreads tales when going around from place to place, so we too can spread stories about others. Judaism prohibits the evil tongue, which can be defined as speaking even the truth, but with a malicious intent. According to the Jewish sages, speaking evil of others harms three people, the one speaking, the one spoken about, and the one hearing. This topic brings to my mind Psalm 19 and verse 14, a scripture that I learned at my father's knee. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And Psalm 34 asks both the question and gives the answer. Who is the man eager for life who desires many years of good fortune? Guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Based upon that verse, a famous rabbi wrote a book called Guard Your Tongue. And he lived to be 95 years old because he put into practice the admonition to guard your tongue. And my rabbi Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 37 that by our words we will be justified and by our words we can be condemned. So then each of us is going to have to give an account to God. Now in the Old Testament, Miriam, the sister of the great deliverer Moses, was stricken with leprosy because she dared to slander Moses. In fact, the rabbis say that the episode in Numbers chapter 12 is the prime example of the evil tongue. Let's look at Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the woman he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? And the Lord heard it. Wow, take note, the Lord was eavesdropping. Does he eavesdrop on my conversations? Does he listen to yours? Of course he does. For the sake of time, I'll jump down to verse 9. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Miriam and Aaron. And he departed, for the cloud removed from over the tent, and behold, Miriam was leprous. And I'm going to jump down to verse 13 and 14. Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, should she not be shamed for seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp. From the fact that Miriam's name is conspicuously mentioned first in Numbers chapter 12, she was apparently guilty as the instigator, and that's why the punishment fell on her. Among Israel's women, Miriam enjoyed high status because she was a prophetess, as well as the sister of the leader, Moses and Aaron. Also as the high priest, Aaron was regarded as the ecclesiastical head of the whole nation. But instead of being grateful and content for these high ranks and privileges, Miriam and Aaron, because of the sins of pride and joggling for positions, dared to challenge Moses' God-given authority. 
The Hebrews have always had an inherent distaste for intermarriage, and no doubt Moses' intermarriage was unusual. But it appears that jealousy of the power and influence of Moses was the real cause of the murmuring. On the surface, Miriam was complaining that she had been supplanted by a foreigner. But there was also jealousy in her heart and inordinate ambition. Nothing is in the Bible by accident, by the way. Moses' mixed marriage was a prophetic picture of the one new man of Jew and Gentile made one together in Messiah. Interestingly, early Christian fathers said that in the marriage of Moses to the Ethiopian woman, there was a foreshadowing of the future extension of God's grace to the Gentiles. But this whole sad episode of Miriam's evil tongue, the punishment of leprosy and her temporary expulsion outside of the camp is a stain on her character and reputation. The Bible continually proves itself to be the word of God and doesn't cover up the shortcomings of its heroes and heroines. From this episode in Numbers chapter 12, we learn the important principle not to speak against or harm the anointed man of God. Let our words be few. There's safety in that, for according to Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19, in the multitude of words, the mathematical probability of transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Over in the New Testament, in the little book of James, there's great wisdom concerning speech. Let's look at James chapter 1 and verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The reference to a bridle is referring to the leather harness and bit placed in a horse's mouth to control the animal. In the same way, we believers must allow the Holy Spirit to bridle our tongue and to restrain our words. When the Lord says, whoa, and pulls back on the reins, we need to sense that and to shut up. And then James picks up the theme over in chapter 3 of Taming the Tongue. And I'm going to begin with verse 1 and read through because this is such good instruction. Not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, large and they are driven by strong winds, but they are guided by a very small rudder. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members and it's staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and is set on fire even by hell itself. For every kind of beast and bird can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being has ever tamed the tongue. It is a restless evil full of poison. 
With it, we bless our Heavenly Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in His image. From the same mouth come cursings and blessings. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both sweet water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So to review what we've covered already, if you've just joined the program, I'm Christine Darg, and we're discussing the Hebrew concept of the evil tongue and how to control it. The Bible warns that believers who don't bring restraint to our speech are deceived. And without such control over our words, our religious acts are viewed as simply hypocritical. That's according to James, the half-brother of Jesus, whose words we've just been reading in the New Testament. He says true religion controls the tongue. That's why he cautioned against many of us becoming teachers because teachers will receive a more strict judgment. Now, according to James, what was the sign of maturity in self-control? For sure, maturity and self-control are best exhibited in our ability to bridle and to control our words, our tongues. James used practical illustrations, didn't he, to describe the tongue. He said that the tongue is like the little rudder that controls a big ship. But also, sadly, the tongue is like a small flame that can be fanned into a forest fire, into a horrible holocaust. If, as James says, the tongue is full of deadly poison, who can tame it? The good news of Jesus Christ is that the Holy Spirit invited to live inside of each of us. He can teach our tongues to behave and He can restrain us by the promptings of His Spirit. David asked a very important question at the beginning of Psalm 15. He said, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? And then he gives a general answer. He says, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness. But then David lists more specific qualifications to dwell in the presence of God, including speaking the truth in our hearts and not backbiting or slandering others with their tongues. The psalm concludes that the person who masters these things will never be shaken. Hallelujah. According to the rabbis, a person who gossips persistently, who is a serial gossiper, is given the terrible title, Master of the Evil Tongue. How can we be sheltered from masters of the evil tongue? Because they are everywhere. Have you noticed it? Someone is always talking about you and me. But one of my favorite verses in this regard is Job chapter 5 and verse 21. And the promise is, you will be protected from the lash of the tongue and need not fear when destruction comes. The Hebrew here literally likens the tongue to a lash, to a scourge or a whip. False accusations and slander are so cruel, just like a whip, but we can be 
hidden and protected in the cleft of the rock, hidden and protected in God from the evil tongue. In this regard, another of my favorite verses is over in the scroll of Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17. It declares, no weapon forged against you will prosper and you will refute every tongue that accuses you because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness or vindication from me declares Jehovah, the Lord God. What a marvelous verse. Ultimately, no one will be able to injure you by words and their accusations because this is the inheritance of those who serve God in truth and in continual victory. No rebuke is actually very pleasant, is it? But in life, there are good instructive rebukes. It's called constructive criticism. But there's both constructive and destructive criticism. Criticism coming from an embittered spirit is dangerous and hurtful if we don't handle it correctly. So we must discern the spirit behind people's words. Are their words critical? Are they gentle or destructive? Are they coming from the evil tongue? Friends, it's so very draining to try to justify ourselves. How did Jesus handle slander? My goodness, he was falsely accused, even of blasphemy. But this is how he handled it. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges rightly, and he is our best example. The Bible describes evil tongues as filthy, swearing, prideful tongues, boastful, flattering, lying, scoffing tongues. God particularly hates murmuring tongues because murmuring exposes a heart of unbelief. When we distrust God's promises and we begin to murmur, to kvitch and complain, watch out because I have learned from studying the Bible that murmuring really offends God. According to Psalm 106 and verse 25, the Israelites who were wandering in the wilderness didn't believe and trust in God's faithfulness, but they murmured and they grumbled in their tents. And so God lifted his hand against that generation and only two of that generation entered the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Most definitely the evil tongue is a murmuring tongue. Murmuring is just discontent breaking out at the lips and we need to understand the seriousness of grumbling and complaining rather than trusting God and remaining firm in faith. Many people who live luxuriously every day and whose bodies are helpful have very lean souls. Have you noticed that? Because they murmur, they complain, and they're very unpleasant to be around because they give no gratitude to God. On the other hand, an observant Jew prays daily, we thank thee, O God, for thy miracles, which daily are loaded upon us and for your continual marvels. Lord, today and every day, may I take time to pause and truly thank you for your continual marvels. 
just keeping us alive and providing for our needs. Psalm 37 and verse 8 commands us to cease from anger and to forsake wrath. Do not fret. It tends, it leads only to evil. Why do I hear so many believers kvitching, whining, fretting, moaning, and complaining? Consider the spiritual implications of the dictionary definition of the word fret. And the Hebrew word means to become warm with agitation. But literally, to fret means uh, to express worry, annoyance, discontent. But to move in agitation in such a way that something becomes corroded or gnawed away, like uh, the river fretting at its banks. So to fret means literally to eat away. That's how some people come down with cancer because of a degenerating action of fretting. When all said and done, the tongue is controlled by the heart. And if the heart is evil, the tongue will be evil. And if the heart is holy, the tongue, naturally, it follows it will be holy. How can we have a heart transplant? To have a spiritual heart transplant so that we can speak correctly, we must, the Bible says, be born again to have the Lord's clean heart. That's why the Lord says we must all be born again so that the original sin in all of our hearts can be atoned for when He changes our hearts through spiritual regeneration by the power of His Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when we choose to repent, to turn from our wicked ways and ask the Lord to forgive us for our words and our actions, then He promises to give us a new heart. We are washed clean and we become brand new creatures in Messiah. Mercy and grace change the heart and sanctify our heart our eyes, our tongue. When the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles in the upper room in Jerusalem after the resurrection, they began to speak with new tongues. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. When God's Spirit comes upon us and into us, baptizing us with His power from on high, we will speak with a new tongue. Our speech will be gracious and heavenly. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 36, every idle word that men shall speak, they'll give an account for in the day of judgment. Let's pray about it, shall we? Let's come together before the throne of God and pray a short prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm asking you to give me a new heart and a new tongue. Sanctify my heart, my eyes, my hands, my feet, my tongue by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and dwell in me and speak words of wisdom through me and live your righteous acts through me. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Well, my friends, words come in many packages half-truths, politically correct words, bold words, words of life, but best of all, gospel words that will save us. And so I'll leave you with the gospel. The Bible says in Romans and chapter 10, verses 9 to 10, 
if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess unto salvation and are saved. The amazing story of Israel's restoration in 1948 came about after two and a half decades of British rule over the land called Palestine. But how did Britain come to control the region? It's a fascinating history that goes all the way back to Napoleon Bonaparte's military invasion of Egypt in 1798. In fact, more Gentile soldiers have died fighting over the land of Israel than all the Israeli soldiers who have been killed since 1948. Well, now the whole fascinating 200-year story of the Battle for Zion is available as an hour-long DVD hosted by historian Kelvin Crombie and produced by Peter Darg. With the outbreak of World War I in 1914, Britain, France, and Russia confronted Germany, Austria, and the Turkish Empire. Britain immediately called on her empire to mobilize. Canada, South Africa, India, New Zealand, and Australia responded. In November 1914, a large convoy carrying 20,000 Australian and 8,000 New Zealand soldiers set sail from the uttermost ends of the earth en route to the battlefields of Europe via the Suez Canal. A major objective of Germany and her Turkish ally was the capture of the Suez Canal. So as the Australian and New Zealand Anzac convoy steamed through the canal, they were told to disembark in Egypt and complete their training and to help protect Suez against an expected Turkish-German attack. As the pyramids had welcomed the French troops in 1798, so too again there were troops from other parts of the world who came here, congregated here in 1914. There were the turban soldiers from India and there were the Australian soldiers who came with their slouch hats and the New Zealanders with their lemon crusher hats and the British soldiers as well. So again, foreign soldiers were exciting themselves here at one of the great treasures of the world trying to get to the top and planting their national flags. You'll also find other great resources at our website, including my latest book on healing, which we published in Jerusalem called Speak to the Mountain. To order any of our DVDs or books, just visit our website at www.exploits.tv. Thank you for sharing your time with me. I'm Christine Darg, reminding you of the great exhortation in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. Those who know God will be strong and carry out exploits.